Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Special Needs Talk Radio Network, featuring six outstanding programs for the special needs community. Our shows are not designed to provide listeners with specific or personal medical, legal, or professional advice. Parents of children with health issues should always consult their health care provider for medical advice, medications, or treatment. Any show discussing law and rights for special needs children and special education are presented as general information and not legal advice. We thank you for joining us and are proud to provide excellence in broadcasting for the special needs community. And now, on to the interview. Hi, this is Jennifer Laviano. I am a special education attorney. And hi, I'm Julie Swanson. I'm a special education advocate, and this is your Special Ed Rights with Jen and Julie. Hey there, Julie. How are you doing today? I am well because I we are going to talk about an issue that is near and dear to our hearts, and it is, yes, bullying is an IEP issue. Oh, yes, it is. And let's just start by saying IEP. By IEP, we mean an individualized education program, which, of course, is the contract between parents and school districts that is entered into under the IDEA, which is the Individuals Disabilities Education Act, basically our federal special education laws. And Julie and I want to talk today about the fact that we see bullying of children with disabilities as a massive issue. Uh, We've been talking about it for a very, very long time, for many years now, Julie and I, because we've been seeing this in our practices and our our personal experience for many years. And and while it is a hot topic right now uh, across the country, it's been a hot topic for us for a very long time because we're really concerned about it. And I know that many of our listeners are very concerned about it as well. Um, and unfortunately, what we have found in far too many IEP meetings when we bring this up on behalf of our clients is that they're saying, the school district is saying, oh, you know, bullying is really not an IEP issue or bullying is not a special education issue. And so we're here, Julie, to say, in fact, yes, it is a special education issue, and um, we expect to talk about it at the IEP meeting when it's happening. Right, Julie? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, Jen, not only is it a national issue, but you and I see it in our practices. You as a special education attorney and I as a special education advocate. And and we've discussed this many times that people may come to us for one reason and what do we inevitably end up talking about as a secondary issue and, 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 and many times it's the primary issue. Oh, and by the way, my child is being bullied as well. Um, so, you know, we're, we see it personally and we're seeing it nationally as well. And, you know, in fact, Jen, um, you know, the, the, the Congress has considered um, legislation designed to address this issue, and we're hoping that as time goes on in this country that this really is um, an issue that uh, takes up some steam as far as recognizing the distinction, the distinction between being bullied and the bullying of kids with disabilities who are far more vulnerable than your typically developing uh, student and child. 
There, there's really no doubt about it. And, you know, Julie, you bring up an important point. Right now we don't have any federal legislation that governs mm-hmm. bullying, um, either bullying of kids with disabilities or kids who do not have disabilities. We just don't have federal bullying protections. There are protections that can be found on the federal level in other statutes and in other constitutional protections, um, Civil Rights Act protections and Section 504 of the Rehabilitation Act. So I don't want our listeners to have the impression that there's no protection out there on a federal level. There is. It's just that we don't have any presently, and hopefully we will soon, um, any federal law that says this is our federal anti-bullying legislation. Now, that said, most states now do have such laws on the books. Um, unfortunately, as you and I have talked about also many, many times, many of them boil down to what I would call window dressing. Um, they really don't have any teeth from a lawyer's perspective. What, what I mean by that is that many of them do not have what we call a private right of action, which in essence just means that if, it's, you know, if a school district violates the, the anti-bullying law, there's not a whole lot that you as a parent or as a potential plaintiff can do about it under that law in and of itself. It doesn't usually at the state level, although there are some, it, they don't typically provide for damages um, just for violation of the law itself. And so a lot of discretion is given to school districts. And so uh, in my experience, and I know in yours, a lot of these um, pieces of legislation at the state level boil down to you know, making some legislators feel good that they pass some law, but it didn't really impact on a day-to-day basis what's happening for kids. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what we wanted to focus on in this show is, you know, we can, another show might be the wish list of, of, of the types of protections we might have in the future. Yeah. Um, however, what we want to focus on in this show is if you have a child who has a disability and you do believe that your child is being bullied or is vulnerable to be bullied, how do you address that? How do you get in front of the situation? And more importantly, if you are experiencing it right now, how do you handle it right now? And you know, we thought we'd start off by, as, as obvious as it might seem, really identifying what is bullying. And, um, you know, one of the, the, the folks that um, you, you can look up bullying and get a definition um, from many other, different definitions from different sources, um, but it is basically um, the, a pattern of, um, um, oh, Jen, help me out here. I'm, 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 it's no, a pattern no, I, of I, you. No, I, you're probably trying to find the exact quote, which is why you're struggling. Wait. But basically, you know, it can take many forms, which are physical, verbal, emotional. They can take the form of social exclusion, which you and I have discussed many times as perhaps one of the most painful for students, especially um, adolescents, where they're being shunned or socially excluded um, intentionally. By, by students, which in, in, in of itself can really um, take the form of bullying after time. And, of course, right. the and new you know, um, form that you and I hear far too much about, and which is in the news right. a lot, which is cyberbullying, right. those kinds of right. Um, right. tools that we have with modern technology that allow students right. to take bullying to a far greater level these days because it's now out there in the Internet um, for all to see. And so, you know, what, what used to be a harmful thing said to a kid in the classroom that hopefully after the passage of time maybe could be forgotten, is now out there on YouTube. And um, I know, Julie, you've had an experience with a, a, a student that you know where, um, you know, the kid was being actually filmed in class um, mm-hmm. doing something that was rather embarrassing for the student, and then it was posted on YouTube. And what was being yeah. taunted and made right. fun of was the child's actual disability. And, you know, those 
situations are unacceptable and they're much harder to erase, literally, than they ever were before. And you know what I had been looking for before, Jen, and I found it, and that was the definition of bullying according to Dr. Dan Olweus, who is a leading Norwegian researcher on bullying. And I'm going to read it because it is his uh, definition of bullying. It's a pattern of repeated aggressive behavior with negative intent directed from one child to another where there's a power imbalance. And like Jen said, she went through all the forms, physical, verbal, emotional, social social exclusion. And I happen to think that the one that is most powerful and the most harmful to kids um, with disabilities, and not that I had to pick the one that's most most harmful uh, because I wouldn't want to do that, but it's that social exclusion and and being isolated. And, you know, I I always, I I, I live by a a, a saying which goes, you can be in but not with. So what do I mean by that? You can be standing next to somebody, you could be in the group, but it doesn't mean you're with. And I find that this is happening a lot to our kids um, who have disabilities, whether it's an invisible disability like um, ADHD, learning disabilities, some autism spectrum disorders, or whether it's a physical disability where perhaps somebody uses a wheelchair wheelchair or walks slower than others. And, in fact, um, it's usually those kids who have the invisible disabilities um, who really become prime targets for um, the exclusion. Yeah, and, you know, Julie, one of the big problems and why this this topic is so important is that not only do kids who have disabilities, not only are they more vulnerable often because of their disability and the target because very often what they're being teased about is their disability, but many of, of the clients that I represent and many of the students that I know you've worked with they don't have the tools to necessarily even tell their parents when something's going right. wrong. And that's a real problem, and I know it's something that puts fear in the parents of many of the, the clients right. that I have, which is that, you know, I don't even necessarily know. And sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean that the student has um, is nonverbal, is not able to express it verbally. It just may mean that it's much harder to figure out. And so we like to give some par- parents some of the typical red flags that Julie and I have seen right to look for as a parent, and for me, the number one red flag, and it's not just a red flag for bullying, it's a red flag for many other things, including whether a student should be referred for special education evaluation, is school avoidance. And so whenever a, you know, a child stops wanting to go to school or is um, you know, going to the nurse's office a lot, asking to be brought home, um, you're, you're noticing as a parent any school avoidance that is, that is uh, a departure from the norm, that should be a big red flag that something's happening at school that's making the student unhappy or uncomfortable. Absolutely. And, you know, another one, Jen, is, you know, a significant change in behavior or mood, um, especially in a child's ability to socialize or relate to people. And, you know, any of these changes can suggest that a child should be screened for the possibility that he or she is being bullied. And so, you know, I, I think what we need to talk about next is how do you screen for bullying? Well, you, you, you have to look at whether or not your child is verbal or nonverbal, and so many kids who have disabilities may be nonverbal, and so you have to really look at those nonverbal signs. But 
if your child is verbal, um, you may want to sit down with the child and explore um, their feelings and, and what's happening at school. And then, you know, that's exploring it at the parent level. But once you determine that, oh, my gosh, I think there's something going on, we'd like to talk to you about the first steps that you need to take with the school. And the first step is that you should call it a team meeting. I mean, you can call an IEP team meeting where you get the whole team together and have a legal IEP team, the Individualized Education Program team meeting, um, but minimally have a regular team meeting with your special education team, which could be the psychologist, the social worker, the speech and language pathologist, whomever is on your team, and bring it to their attention that you suspect there is bullying, and set up a monitoring system by which the team can try to figure out when and where it is happening. Because you know, Jen, bullying happens when adult eyes are not looking. And it's yeah. a very tremendous burden for school districts to try to figure out when the bullying is happening because, again, it's happening behind people's backs and, you know, pretty savvy kids go out of their way to make it not an obvious issue. But when you set up this monitoring system, you're going to want to look at the hallways, the lunchroom, the bathrooms, the buses, the changing between classes, and really take some time to say, okay, let's identify it. Because the first step in anything, Jen, is identifying it and trying to figure out what your child's vulnerability is. Well, those are that's a great suggestion, Julie, because, you know, here are some practical tips in that regard. It is um, a problem that when it occurs, a parent usually is extremely upset when they find out that it's been going on. Sometimes they find out because the child tells them directly. Sometimes it's through these other means that we've been talking about. But when you find out that your child has been targeted, you're, you're usually extremely emotional and upset for your child's safety, and you're usually pretty angry in my experience. And so what I would say as a practical tip is don't go into the situation where you meet with your school district uh, guns a-blazing and absolutely sure that they've known about it and been hiding it from you all this time. And many parents are inclined to walk in with that kind of an attitude. It's not mm. likely to get you to the place where you're going to have a productive next step, which is to try to resolve it, right? So what mm -hmm. I would suggest, go in there and even open with, I realize that bullying often takes place in unstructured activities like the hallway I know that kids usually do this when you're not looking, and, and try to draw the sting on what will be the automatic defensiveness on the school district's part that you're there to basically make, you know, accuse them of not telling you something. So I wouldn't go in with that assumption. Go in with the assumption that they weren't aware of it either, and now we can put our heads together on it. And another practical tip parents need to understand, and it's really difficult, is that don't get fixated on what happened to the bully. School districts have obligations not just to the children who are being targeted, but also they have some obligations to the children who might be doing the, tar the targeting and might actually be perpetrating the bullying, including that they can't go around telling other parents what um, disciplinary records this kid has and what's going to happen to him or her as a result of this incident, if anything. Now, in small schools, very often you know what happened to the other kid or you can see that they're not there anymore or you can see that they are there anymore. I find it very counterproductive to get hung up on wanting to know about the other child's disciplinary outco outcome. Your focus should really be on making sure it stops and making sure that your child is safe and kept safe. And so those are right. two practical tips that I, I think will stand you in good stead to get to where you need to right. go to solve the problem. 
Right. And so the next step would be once you've brought this to the attention of the team, now it's time to identify what those deficit areas are and where it's happening, and then bring it to the IEP team process where you say, okay, now we want to develop some IEP goals so we can address the deficit areas. And so for some children, it may be that they're not even able to recognize when they're being shunned or made fun of um, or whatever the bullying situation is. And so the first step would be able to say, okay, um, this is where we, we've recognized this vulnerability. Now let's design an IEP around that, that deficit area. So it might be Susie will learn to recognize shunning because right. you can't put a plan in place if the child isn't even aware of how to recognize it. So this is, this is the crux of the matter, Jen, is what we wanted everybody to really hear us saying, is it's taking that vulnerability and turning it into an IEP goal so that child could recognize it on the, and hopefully on the way to remediating it through the development of an IEP goal and the team working on um, that goal and getting the child that skill. Depending on the level of the child's functioning and the situation, the IEP should be, goal should be developed around the unique situation. Um, but I also want to bring to the attention um, of our listeners, Jen, that there's two ways to look at bullying. There's the student-centered approach, which I, we just were talking about and hopefully we'll talk about some more, where you're bringing it into the IEP and you're, you're identifying those deficit areas and turning them into IEP goals. But the other one is a school-wide approach, and that is where you want to find out what is your school's bullying policy, um, what is the program that your school might have to address bullying, and what is the school doing to um, educate students in the school district about bullying. So one is, okay, worrying about everybody else, and the other one is, okay, how do we make this all about my child and incorporate it into the IEP? Well, and you know that's an excellent point because what you know as a lawyer, I have to say that unfortunately, sometimes the best efforts to cooperate and get it to get the situation resolved amicably don't end up working. And when that happens, there are formal measures that need to be taken, including finding out what your school district's bullying policy is, asking for it in writing, and then in writing, documenting what's happened and that you're complaining about it and that you're concerned about it. And there are lots of ways that that one can do that and research that online. There are even forms you can find online for this. But, you, you know, if you really, if you tried and it's just not working, you do want to formally put your school district on written notice of the fact that the bullying has gone on and that you want it rectified and that it hasn't been rectified. Um, because, unfortunately, as we know as um, people who deal with the law a lot, um, if it's not in writing, it didn't happen. And so you have to make sure that, that you do document it if, um, in fact, it doesn't resolve itself amicably. Um, that said, you know, when the IEP issue comes up, Julie, you know, and you are focusing for, for our purposes on the IEP, you know, what we want to be looking at is what are the core skills, what are the skills necessary that the student has to have that will either put them in a situation where hopefully they're less vulnerable to bullying or give them some tools and strategies to know how to handle it when it's occurring. Um, and we're always really cautious when we talk about this because the last thing we want to do is appear to be blaming the victim here at all. Um, but what we often find is that kids who are being um, targeted who have disabilities and don't often have the tools, and one of the reasons they're being targeted is because some of the core 
special education intervention services that really should have been producing progress aren't necessarily working. And so a good example might be, you know, is if we find out that the reason that the child is being bullied is because the kids are teasing the kid because they think the kid um, doesn't wash his, his hair enough. And, um, you know, they're calling him all sorts of names about, you know, oh, you're a slob or things like that. And, in fact, perhaps that child's IEP should have daily living skills, goals, um, and services and, and some support to teach the child how to groom and to teach the child, which a lot of kids don't just pick up on this naturally. It's something that needs to be taught. And we hear far too often, well, that's a home issue. Well, in fact, if this is a daily living skill the child needs and it's, an in, and it's interfering with their ability to participate in their educational environment free of being taunted, then, in fact, we do need to be working on this in the IEP. So um, these are the kinds of arguments that Julie and I unfortunately get into all the time. And what we're hoping we can give um, to parents is some tools to avoid it because, unfortunately, Julie, one of the reasons this has become such an issue for us is that we know that while victimization data isn't really kept on any kind of a national or state level um, to the level you and I would like to see it, um, we do know from a number of studies and resources out there, even anecdotal experiences, that kids with disabilities are disproportionately bullied. Um, here in Connecticut, we know that the person who fields the calls for the state of Connecticut for all bullying reports. So if a parent has to call someone, it doesn't matter whether or not your child has an IEP, and you want to call someone at the state to complain about it, this is the person who fields the call. And so if you figure in Connecticut we have around 12% of our kids who are identified with IEPs, you'd think about 10 to 12% of, of the phone calls, maybe 15% would involve kids who have IEPs. In fact, it, you know, she reports it two to three times that, that about half of the phone calls she gets, if not more, are calls from families um, whose children have IEPs and who are being targeted or bullied. So that means that it, this is a massive problem. And so we don't know because we don't have a reliable data on it. We don't know whether 95% of all kids who have IEPs are being bullied, but we suspect it's a pretty high number based on our experience. We know that there's a survey that um, was done out of Boston of families of children who have autism spectrum disorders, and 9 out of 10 roughly were, being reporting, were reporting that their children have been bullied sometimes for years and often leading to not attending school. So this is a huge issue, and it's something that we encourage you to, to insist be addressed through the IEP. Right, and, and, and beyond the IEP, um, you know, we would also encourage you to contact um, your state um, to find out if, if, if the Department of Education is taking victimization data um, when there are reportable offenses um, that have to be recorded. Um, at schools, and, and that's one of the challenges, Jen, is that most states do not take victimization data. Therefore, we don't have our finger on the pulse of how big of a, situ of a problem this is. We right. know it's a problem, but we don't have, for the most part, the hard numbers um, to prove it. Right, um, and, and, and you know, so, this, this is actually a great segue into our history lesson because, as you know, every single week we do a history lesson mm -hmm. where we take um, something in, about our topic for the day and try to find something in, in the history of special education or the history of the country or of the world that we think is interesting and on topic. And so to that point, while we don't have that kind of data, we do know, and we know that the, the United States government knows that students with disabilities are disproportionately um, targeted and harassed based on their disability, and a good resource for families who are either interested in researching this or in having some 
um, genuine, legitimate documentation that they can provide to their school district as to why, in fact, um, they believe that children with disabilities are being targeted more often than others, is a July 25, 2000 Dear Colleague letter. And it is a letter that the United States Department of Education Office for Civil Rights um, sent out to special education directors and state directors of special education as well as heads of um, universities and colleges that basically said, and this is over a decade ago, Julie, that basically okay. said that based on the information they were getting at, at the federal level, that they were aware that students were being harassed based on their disability. And um, some of the language of this is really important. It says that they conducted a joint focus group where they heard about the often devastating effects on students of disability harassment that ranged from abusive jokes, crude name-calling, threats and bullying, to sexual and physical assault by teachers and other students. And basically, the Dear Colleague letter says we take the, these concerns very seriously. This is having a profound impact on students um, with disabilities. And in fact, it is disability-based harassment, and it's against the law. And then it goes on to say why it's against the law. And it's a really fantastic resource. Um, anyone can pick it up on the um, ed.gov website. The United States Department of Education has a website called ed.gov. And it's a really good resource across the board for families. And you can just type in Dear Colleague 2000 Letter, and you can pull it right up, and it's got all sorts of footnotes and, and um, citations that are useful for families interested in the subject. Because what it comes down to it, Julie, what we find is that this um, issue is preventing students with disabilities from having access to the education, the regular education and the special education, to which they are entitled by law because so many kids react to bullying by just stop going to school. Right, and you know all students, uh, Jen, have the right to attend school um, without fear. Yep. <laughs> and uh, as, as we well know, um, this is a really good reason why kids start stop going to school. And I love the fact that you shared that letter because I always – um, like to give people tangible things that they can touch and feel and perhaps bring into their school districts um, to start the conversation going. And, you know, speaking of school districts, Jen, um, we also do a report card every week um, on our show. And if, for those of you who haven't noticed, we sort of have a school theme going to our um, <laughs> to the theme of our, of our shows here. Um, and, you know, Jen, we got, um, for, as a result of, of, our, of our radio show here on Talking Special Needs Network, um, a letter um, that I'm going to let you share um, regarding this, uh, our report card of the week. Well, and it was very exciting for us because we, and we encourage all of our listeners, if, you, if there's a story you want to share, a question you want to ask, or a uh, topic you'd like to hear us discuss, please feel free to email us and contact us, and, and we'd be happy to um, consider it because uh, we're interested in, in providing to you what you're interested in. So at any rate, I got this lovely um, email from, from one of our listeners saying that um, she had an example that she thought we could find useful, and, and it's perfectly on target with um, our, our discussion today, which was that um, her, her child who had been targeted in school and teased based on his disability, in particular in small groups where his academic ability was not commensurate with, with that of his peers, and he was being teased by them in these small groups because he wasn't able to keep up. So, you know, rather than saying, hey, let's take an approach here where we have to provide this student with either a different program or with the skills that they need to close the gap on the academics, instead, 
um, the goal that the school district came up with um, for this particular child was that the child would learn not to remove himself or withdraw into his own space when working in small groups um, with his peers um, and, in fact, would work cooperatively in those groups as if it was his fault that um, he was in small groups being taunted and teased and, therefore, his reaction, which I think is a pretty normal one, um, was to withdraw. And so they developed this new goal for him. Don't withdraw from that group. You've got to stick it out, which, you know, is um, is certainly not a very creative approach. And, and for this particular parent, and, and I have to say I agree with her, um, made her feel like he was basically being told through his IEP that he should continue to subject himself to this abuse. And wasn't the, the IEP goal written with some specificity um, where it said when his peers are making fun of his ability that he would do that? Yeah, I mean, that was the baseline. Yes, yeah, exactly. Right. But that's what's happening. Well, He's being made fun of because of his disability, and therefore, you know, we're, we're going to approach it by saying don't remove yourself from those situations. So I'm going to give that report card, that, um, this report card, I'm going to give that particular one an F. Um, I, I think it's, a, it's one of those, and maybe I'll give it a D minus just because I feel like we're always giving Fs. And the only reason I would say a D minus <laughs> is at least I will give credit to the school district that in this particular situation they recognized that bullying was occurred, occurring and were trying to address it through the IEP. Um, the manner in which they addressed it I think uh, sucked, but <laughs> at least they were acknowledging it. Well, listen, you just stole my thunder, because what I was going to say is that I was going to give them an A for effort in at least that they developed an IEP goal, Yeah. but I'm going to give them an F in their inability to get the IEP goal correct. And so, you know, it might have been um, along the lines of that, you know, that this student will learn to identify when he is being isolated, shunned, or yeah. made fun of, then yeah. he will, the second half to that would be that maybe the IEB call says that he will learn to self-advocate and use a self-advocacy bank that he learns yeah. some certain responses. Um, yeah. And so he would actually be learning a skill that would be useful for life, whereas this IEP goal is way off the mark, um, yeah. doesn't teach him anything, no self-advocacy no. skills, nothing. And so A for effort, and yeah. I know I'm going to give it worse than a D. I, I do give it an F because it is, yeah. um, it's just missing the mark. I know. I, I, I'm, with, I'm with you. I mean, and, you know, it reminds me of the behavior plans that they develop. Sometimes the behavior plan is when the child's behavior is out of control, the mother will be called to pick the child up. It's about as inspired <laughs> as that. Um, but that's a whole other you know, topic. Jen, you know, Julie, speaking of topics, Next We're week up. our, our show, time is up. I know, and next week our show is Special Education Urban Legends, and I think we are going to have a fantastic time with that. Thank you for listening to us here on Talking Special Needs, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Bye-bye.